0: you are listening to the insight to action podcast my name is donna jones i'm your host my work involves transforming leadership skills and decision-making mindset to really cope with the complexity we have in today's environment Isaac Getz is the co-author of Freedom, Inc., and a professor at the ESCP. I don't know what those letters stand for. European School.
1: school. Uh, it's in French, École de Commerce. École Supérieure de Commerce de Paris. Ah. means the high, high School for Business, something like that. Oh, okay. that's
0: lovely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he was also the visiting professor at Cornell and Stanford Universities, as well as the University of Massachusetts. He's written Liberating Leadership, How to Build a Radical Freedom of Initiative Organization, which is a rather intriguing title. So, And particularly timely today when companies are exploring better ways to engage talent and become more responsive to the outside world. I've talked to World Blue. One of our episodes on this podcast is about, with World Blue. We've also talked about Holocracy, Sociocracy 3.0, Liquid O, and other governance structures. Isaac Getz talks about liberating employees. Welcome to the program, first of all, Isaac.
1: Hey, hello. Hello, Donna.
0: Let's talk about why are more companies paying attention to employee engagement and how can liberated companies help?
1: My topic is liberating leadership, and what I studied in comparison to Uh, some other approaches that you mentioned is not exactly how these companies have to be organized but how uh, you go to transform them this is the let's let's what's called in uh, in american one million dollar question right so what we did in our research is that we went uh, for five years and studied about 30 companies in five countries and uh, not companies in fact but the leaders, the CEOs that did this transformation. And uh, we realized, and this is the answer to to your question, that uh, although uh, there is a certain amount of them and there are lessons, and we can talk about it, uh, about this liberating leadership, uh, they are still a marginal phenomenon. What we wanted to do is to understand what the principles of transforming uh, organizations and then... I write a book, uh, I wrote also several articles, and try to show leaders or CEOs of organizations that they can do it too. And uh, we realized, I mean, today, that in uh, France and Belgium, particularly in French-speaking Belgium, it became a, a, a real corporate liberation movement. It's not a marginal phenomenon anymore. There are hundreds and hundreds of organizations, including large corporations like Michelin and Decathlon and Airbus that build airplanes, who entered this type of, uh, of movement and transformation. So today, um, I can only see that there is a change. Uh, however, I think the need for this type of organizations existed at the moment of Industrial Revolution because traditional organizations are not natural to human beings, they deny basically the fundamental universal human needs
0: Well said now let, let's talk a bit about what inspired you to step you know to understand more about liberating leadership in, in, in companies
1: <clears throat> again as I told you when I became interested in me and Brian Carney with whom we carried this research, in these organizations and before that I worked on the companies which are creative, innovative. It's intriguing once you visit uh, these companies and obviously naturally, particularly as a business school professor, you want to understand how it works. But rather quickly after visiting uh, several of them, we basically understood the essential tenets of uh, uh, this company's organization. What uh, was mysterious is uh, how these organizations uh, transformed or were transformed from the traditional what we call hierarchical bureaucracies into this freedom and responsibility-based liberated organizations. And so that's why we became interested in deliberating leadership because we very quickly saw that there was always one person, one ceo or business unit head of a business unit that decided to lead this transformation becoming hence a liberating leader and so what wanted to understand their lessons and to see if there are some kind of common lessons uh, that eventually can be useful to every other head ceo uh, that wants to do the same type of transformation
0: what did you learn from your research then? Because this is an intriguing opening into what, what is perplexing a lot of companies right now in, in, the, in the sense that a lot of these leadership positions, particularly the ones that are tied to decision-making authority, are the, actually the, um, the bottlenecks for, for innovation.
1: I think that the words matter. And uh, I think that the, the, the word leader that is used in a common way which is used and identical to somebody that sits at the top of a pyramid is uh, confusing. Uh, We wouldn't agree that Qaddafi was a leader in the sense that we use the term, right? Leader is is somebody that people are voluntarily following. Now, Qaddafi was killed the moment when he lost the power to intimidate people by his former uh, subordinates. So, the leader that we are talking about are people who are, most importantly, egoless. They abandoned their ego and, and they started to be servants to their people. So, every transformational leadership, let's say every transformation of a type that we're talking about, we call it <clears throat> corporate liberation, which is kind of a radical form of uh, transformation um, starts by uh, these executives uh, CEOs questioning their own behavior and one of the most important is their ego their belief that they are the most intelligent people in the organization and so that that was the for example one you asked about the lessons the one the things that we learned that that was one of the things that we learned, that these people had to do some fundamental uh, work on themselves, right, kind of self-help, although it was not a self-help, most of them worked with executive coaches on these issues, and some even with the shrinks.
0: What prompts them to do that? Because it's not an easy journey, and and I can recall at one point I challenged, uh, a long time ago, I challenged a, uh, an entrepreneur around the, the role of ego, and, and they defended the need for ego. That the, the assumption was, if you don't have an ego, you can't possibly be competitive. There's a lot of mental walls to get over when you're when you're developing. So, how does that? How do how do people approach that?
1: I would say that I agree with them, of course. I mean, if uh, you evolve in the traditional paradigm um, of um, Uh, driving uh, the performance of your organization from the top, uh, your ego is obviously important. Uh, However, if you shift the paradigm, and uh, those leaders did, and you understand that, uh, like one of them said, 800 brains are more than one super brain, the question then is how you can make Uh, these people to open up because they're like knocks right all their ideas are they held it for themselves they share it with their families their friends eventually they leave you and they start another company that competes with yours but in the company they don't share they don't share their intelligence don't share their ideas and so uh, why because you as a ceo you show them on the daily daily, uh, basis that you are the most intelligent and that means they are inferior and uh, people who are second class don't want to share their best ideas. So uh, how do you change that? And it starts with you. There are different triggers why leaders change that. Some of them underwent some personal uh, or family events. Some of them had their organizations that they believed are perennial competitors collapse. Some of them simply uh, were exposed to the uh, uh, writings or videos or examples that there is a different way uh, to run an organization Uh, which is more in tune with uh, their fundamental values and fundamental beliefs. So, where they come from, there are different cases. I mean, it's this whole continuum of cases. But uh, what's important that all of them understood that unless they learn how to trust other people's intelligence, nothing will happen. And... uh, so it's again fundamental leadership question. Is they understood that they can transform their organizations if they don't transform themselves, and uh, they did a real work on that. And you absolutely right, Donna. That that uh, the difficulty in, is that you very quickly feel vulnerable, right? Because fundamentally, trusted trusting somebody is giving him in a way some. Uh, keys right to your company maybe to your life uh, because now he will decide or she will decide what to do what equipment buy whom to hire because everyone believes that it will produce good results but it can produce bad results and so you are vulnerable parents know that too right when you for the first time give the keys of your car to your adolescent uh, how do you feel but if you don't Uh, If you always control your child, well, uh, you'll pay the price later, right? You'll be always, until maybe this child will retire, the one who will make decisions for him and pay for him, too.
0: You're getting into something now that is perplexing, well, it's actually a a weak area for many companies, and that is the skill to transform leadership, leadership transformation skills, because we have process to transform processes, but... But now we're talking about the human, you know, human as a change agent. And I know in my own work with uh, helping either individuals or companies scale their evolution, my conversation around ego has centered around the relationship between yourself and power. So how did that, you you know, I mean, I'm sure that that's the whole business saying, well, let go of control and, and trust in other people. The way I've been positioning it is is, is to understand what, who you are in your relationship to your ego. So at the highest level of your relationship with your ego, you have a high level of trust, not only in yourself, but in others. And at the lower level, you're competing for position. You're seeing other people as being threats. It's a very fear-based place. If we t- take a look at it through the lens of power and my relationship with per- personal power versus power over others, did anything in particular show up in the research you did?
1: I have a a PhD in psychology and uh, there are different ways to define ego. So I'll be very clear how do I define ego. Not uh, that this person believes that they are the most beautiful, nice looking or whatever. It's just ego about their belief that they are the most intelligent. So they have this huge ego believing that uh, they will be able always to find a better solution or make a better decision than their subordinates. And that makes their subordinates not willing to make decisions and to use their brain. Now, uh, the power is absolutely related to this definition of ego. Why these people have this belief that they are the most intelligent, that they can make the best decisions? Because they rose to the top of the pyramid, right? So they have the, the biggest power and power to do what? Power to make decisions, right? It's not the power to choose the biggest chair or the corner office, right? The power to make decisions. And so it's not easy. It's a big shift. Although it should be easy because it's common sense. The, the, the CEOs don't have any power. Clients have. If clients stop buying or coming to this company, the company collapses. So, from there, you ask the next question, No, well, clients are not within the company, we can't do anything about it. But um, if you think about people who work uh, in the company, then who are those who are the closest to the client? Obviously, frontline people, not the CEO. So, they, by proxy, from the clients who have the real power, they are the most powerful people then they can serve well the client and make this client willing to come again to buy more willing this client to tell that this is a great company uh, that i admire this company and so on and so on so uh, if you understand that if we talk about the, the power right so then the question you say how can i basically create conditions where the people who have the real power in my company, the front-line people, the people who create economic value, can really exercise it. And if you look at the way traditional organizations are run, these people are powerless. They can't decide what they want. They have to ask always the permission from, from their supervisor what every one of us are doing when we uh, have to, to, to talk to somebody, the sales representative in a call center the guy reads a protocol and then will say okay can you pass me your supervisor because we know how it works right so they are helpless they are helpless unless you work in the organizations which are liberated companies like UCA, for example where guy decides to stay four hours with you to solve your problem it's his decision it's a lot of investment right time energy but it's their decision. They don't have to ask anyone. They just stay with you until your problem is solved. Period.
0: If I were to walk into a, a company that's been, you know, a liberated organization, what would it look like? How would people? Ex- how would an employee experience that? Or how? A-
1: if you walk as an employee, right? So there are a lot of things that will be unusual. And again, everything that I'm telling you, it's not necessarily that in every single liberated company you find them. But uh, uh, first of all, you park your car where you want. If you come early, you probably will be the closest to the to the entrance. Once you can walk, then and see the CEO parking next to you, and uh, walk and chat with him. You will look probably a very similarly dressed. Once you get into company, uh, you won't find a time clock. You'll probably have a nice chat with some colleagues. You may find some nice areas where, you know, where maybe somebody thought that it would be nice to put a fruit bowl next to the mail room. Now, today, there are less mail rooms, right? But some places where you can chat and nobody would pass by and saying, you know what, it's, it's like 9, 10, and you're still standing here and chatting with somebody then you'll probably find yourself in the dynamic office space where you will pick uh, your place depending on with whom you want to spend time uh, this day sitting next or maybe you have a, a call so you'll find a, an isolated uh, room where you can uh, go and have a call. Uh, you'll probably find uh, what's formerly called executives but would be leadership uh, people with the... Our largest leadership responsibilities sitting next to you and conducting maybe conversations about millions or tens of millions without trying to hide any information. Uh, you would have a possibility to get all the financials of the company. You would be perhaps uh, invited to assist if you want into the executive board meetings that may have several seats available to anyone who wants to assist. Although obviously you would need to to put sign in and put your name in advance, you could get uh, the minutes, right? The direct translation uh, transcription of everything that was told in executive committee by mail from the CEO. Couple of hours after meeting is finished, you would probably even uh, have your CEO coming to you, and a little bit, I would say, uh, using his authoritarian approach at the one moment if it's past 6 p.m. and you are still at work
0: meaning they would they would direct them to go home and have a life right
1: because people people love so much their work they don't want to go home and particularly younger people uh, they forget it so there is uh, as you understand practically no top-down behaviors but this one uh, may be necessary because uh, you know passionate people that get involved in project or something that they started by themselves sometimes they forget the that there is also life uh, behind beyond the the professional life right The, the life at work so so i just described some of the aspects now if you are a ceo so that's an employee right and you obviously can discuss with anyone reach anyone have an access to any information Uh, start proposing initiative uh, take a decision and so on and so on participate in a lot of uh, work groups right, on different issues uh, how do we hire how do we invest uh, how do we uh, compensate and so on and so on if you are a CEO uh, you say what would be the experience of CEO who comes on a daily basis to his company I think uh, first of all he or she won't they won't come on a daily basis because if they succeeded to liberate their companies, they're not needed anymore on a daily basis. They become liberated. In a way, I mean, there's one thing that you say that the, the, in order to liberate your company, you needed to liberate your company from yourself as a CEO and, uh, and liberate you also yourself from the company. There's a kind of like, you know, it's like psychotic... Uh, bond you know between the two but in fact uh, it's not that you're doing it in some kind of brutal way in one day in fact you as you give people authority to make their own decisions to organize themselves self-direct themselves in teams and to making decisions taking initiatives for the best of companies vision you don't need to stand behind their backs you just have to get away and let them play right let them act so what you do then when they take more and more of uh, authority and responsibility for running the things your role is uh, is double as a liberating leader is uh, it's the question of of you're in charge of the vision Sometimes you elaborated it on your own, sometimes it was elaborated together with employees, but you are still in charge to see whether it's relevant. If a company decided, let's say you were in grocery business, to do certain things uh, and that was their vision and dream and that was valid up until uh, one week after Amazon buys Whole Foods, is it still valid? Uh, it's your responsibility to ask these questions right to bring this information inside the company to think about and for that you don't have to be inside you have to spend a lot of time outside right and the second thing is why you need it still to come to company from time to time is the question of of this values and behavior norms that replaced hierarchies and procedures and uh, kind of provide a framework for behavior of people. If uh, the employees decided at some point that they want to build organization around things like trust, uh, respect, fairness, these kind of things, then you are the ultimate guardian that everyone respects these values. And in fact, some will abuse, obviously, right? (laughs) And they may be disciplined by their teams, but sometimes they don't. And so, if this information comes to your ear, you have to act. Because basically, these people trying to destroy the uh, very fabric of the culture uh, that, uh, together with employees, you are trying to build for years, right? So, you have to act. Uh, so, that's basically what you need it for. And when you come in from time to time, you sit next to others and... Uh, you chat. You you try to touch as many people as possible, uh, asking them, "Can I help you with anything?" and uh, and like behave as a servant leader, right? Uh, show them that you are interested basically in them and that you know what they're doing and telling them uh, concrete things, not general things. You're doing a great job, Bob. You know, no. I I know that last week you you closed this deal, Bob. I've seen what you did, and what you did is is, is really exceptional because this client, not an easy client, something specific, right? And that's how you touch people and show that you you care and and let them do their work.
0: How do decisions get made? Are they made differently than what we'd see in a traditional organization?
1: Obviously. Decisions are made by those who are closest to the field, to the... uh, to the ground right so it's uh, sometimes called subsidiarity principle right so uh, the people who do they know better so the whole approach is they push all the decisions uh, as uh, i don't like the word down right but the closest to the 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 ground to the frontier give you an example and obviously you don't do it by some kind of decree, right but uh, let's say that in the process of transformation of liberation at some point teams say that basically our recruitment process is slow and sometimes it stinks because we get people that are you know don't fit and then we need to spend time with them and so on and so on and so they 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 are questioning one of the business processes in the organization so So, basically, the approach is, okay, uh, what do you propose? And uh, they sit and they devise and usually they decide some way in which they are involved in the recruitment, uh, either from A to Z or at least partially, right? So, this will be a totally different decision from a traditional company. These guys will say, you know what? We think that there will be a hike in two weeks of, uh, I don't know, delivery, and we need one additional guy for two months, and so they sit and they decide how they will find this guy, how they will interview him, how will the, and then obviously the contract issue goes through some kind of HR people who are specialists in that. Most of these decisions will be made by the team itself, including eventually to keep this guy longer if he did a good job, or to terminate perhaps if he doesn't. So that's very different.
0: Yeah. No. Thank you very much. That's a very el- excellent insight into what we're talking about here. So we've been talking about this conceptually, globally. We have different cultural environments that that uh, bring both political contexts as well as economic contexts into into the conversation around or, or into the actual doing the decision to move toward a li- being a, a liberated company. What have you learned from looking from your field research? In companies in across and around the world
1: the one most important thing that they learned which is not big news that people are people (laughs) all over the world Uh, I if somebody can show me a country or region where people like uh, not to be trusted cheated upon information hidden from them punished I'd like to visit this place in fact I don't I don't right I don't want to visit that place. But I think that place doesn't exist. Uh, and so people all over the world and the research by Desi and Ryan and we dedicate a dedicated a chapter on this, on the sort of intrinsic motivation and self-determination theory, they showed that people all over the world and they did this empirical research in many, many countries have the same needs, same universal needs. So... Everywhere it can work, right? What you realize from that is that traditional organizations are not natural to human beings because they deny universal fundamental human needs. And so the question is then, how do you build organizations, work organization that is natural to human beings? And you, the only way to do it, the only way is to do it with these people. There is no model, there is no social engineering, there is no method that says you, this is the way how to do that. Because it's fundamentally disrespectful for the people who are, who will work, who are working there. Ask them what kind of organizational practices you feel as mistrustful. And they will tell you. Some people will say, you know, time clock stinks. Other people will say, what does it mean five signatures to buy a $50, you know, a computer accessory? Uh, and some people say, why don't they trust us to hire? And so on and so on. So it can be very different in different organizations and it can evolve too, right? At some point, uh, they can uh, question some practice and maybe one year later another, so What you get, and this is very important to understand, that this whole corporate liberation is a philosophy. It's not a model, it's not a method. And the certain amount of beliefs, right? And these beliefs that people (coughs) prefer rather to to evolve in the freedom and responsibility-based organization, the majority of people, because it satisfies their fundamental human needs, then brings every CEO, every head of a business unit, To this responsibility, it's his responsibility to start this liberation by co-constructing or co-designing, if you want, together with employees, a unique, really unique organizational mode or form of functioning that will fit them at that moment and that will look to them as being natural to them. So let's look at it from
0: a business performance standpoint. How does liberating leadership or liberated companies, what does it do to the overall position and performance of a company?
1: The first thing I can tell you that if you start by that as an aspiring liberating leader, it's uh, stillborn, your liberation. You can right away forget about succeeding in corporate liberation. This is a very important point. It's it's often misunderstood. You are not starting corporate liberation to get more growth or more profits. You are not. You are doing that because, remember, I told you it's a philosophy because you fundamentally believe that human beings deserve, whether at home, or at work to have their universal human needs satisfied. Now it happened that you're not in charge of their home, you're in charge of their work life. And you decide that it's your responsibility to create such an organizational mode and for. Now that said, but it's very important this belief, right? That said, you as the person in charge of the economic organization, I want to precise also that it's not only happening in in companies, but also in public sector, in, in health organizations, in municipalities, in subsidized housing projects, and so on and so on. So it can be not necessarily all in businesses, right? But there is some kind of performance that you are accountable for. And this is another belief. Again, it's a belief We can't demonstrate it, but it's it's almost a common sense. If you create an an organization where people in the morning when they wake up are willing to go and once they are there are willing to do their best to fulfill this company's vision, for sure these people will be more performing. Think also that they by themselves devise the best ways to achieve the results that they are uh, responsible for. So uh, fundamentally, you get as a byproduct, not as a goal, not as an end in itself, but as a byproduct of the fact that people are really enjoying and having fun at this workplace because their needs are satisfied, you get a higher performance. And... uh, what we saw, I studied about, I told you, 30 companies, but right now, the the project ended in 2009, but we're 2017, and I personally know several hundred companies that I kind of follow, that did their liberation more recently than those that I studied, right? I studied companies like W.L. Gore, right, that operating that way since 19... 19- uh, 58, right? But now I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of organizations that have maybe uh, between, uh, I would say, one and uh, five, six years of corporate liberation. And what you can see is that at minimum, uh, they are outperforming their competition. If uh, the times are good, they're doing well better than the average. If the times are bad, uh, they're still making uh, the ends meet while their competition is either dead or dying. So that's that's basically what you see. And, and you know, it's, it's, again, common sense, you know, common sense. If you have the workforce that is 9 to 5 workforce, and every moment there is some challenge, people just sit and wait for their boss to tell them what to do. Can you imagine ice hockey playing that way? That the guy, the moment that you know it's it's for him to play, he stops and he says, "Boss, you know what should we do?" And they say, "We'll call a meeting on Monday, you know, between the the forwards and the, you know it the, is the head of forwards and there's the head of the defenders and we'll have this this meeting and and we'll tell you what to do. You know, you sit meantime, you wait. I mean, uh, ice, ice hawkers playing like that, basketball players are doing that. No one is doing that. When you have a ball. They expect you to make a decision. You dribble, you pass, you shoot. You're not asking your coach, your boss what to do. But I know where it came from that in organizations, we believe that the people that are on the ground, on the field, they're stupid. And every time there is some challenge, we need to tell them what to do. So liberated companies, they don't operate on these beliefs. They operate on beliefs that the closest to the field know better.
0: Excellent. Nice summary. Any tips or advice for listeners in this transformational process that companies and people are are immersed in?
1: I I think there can be two types of listeners. There are, uh, I I hope, some CEOs. And so uh, I don't give advice as there are no advisors, no consultants, basically, in leadership, right? So I don't know any consultants in leadership, right? Uh, But I can tell that what I observe... Uh, right now in uh, france belgium but also in many other countries because it's happening all over including united states and canada i'm coming to canada in a certain amount of months to address hundreds of uh, of canadian ceos on this topic in montreal so i can tell them one thing is that there is another way to run a company and if you as a ceo you feel there is something wrong in the way you live your professional life there is some kind of disconnection between your values and that you live in your personal life and you cannot leave them you have to leave them at the door of the company in your professional life there is another way to organize a company i don't say that liberated companies is the only way but it is a way to create some kind of harmony in your own life. So you don't have to have two lives. You can have only one life. And now if I... That's for CEOs. Now if I address the employees, the managers, I have now many examples of employees and managers who were sort of change agents. They don't have the power to transform the organizations, but they brought this idea Uh, this uh, information Uh, some put my book you know incognito on the desk of the ceo you know and then they came later and say wow you're reading this book you know i read it too you know so kind of uh, different approaches but basically they can bring this knowledge and this information in the company to the attention at some point of the ceos and uh, it happened already on several occasions and then the CEO becomes interested, and in uh, he starts perhaps to move into into that direction. So, so you can do things too if you're even an, not a CEO right now.
0: Thank you, Isaac. Anything you'd like to add?
1: I, I can tell you one thing is that um, I'm a, uh, I'm I think I'm a lucky person uh, in the sense that I did this research and I wrote this book, Freedom. Inc. and published this article on liberating leadership in California Management Review in 2009, both. And, uh, you know, I'm passionate about the topic, but I didn't believe in my wildest dreams that something that I'm observing right now in France uh, and Belgium, where you have hundreds and hundreds of organizations, companies in private and in public sector, as large as multinationals as Mishnah uh, or French Social Security, joining this corporate liberation movement. And in fact, living, I'm living, it's like a dream, right? It's the first time in human history, first ever, that something that people beginning from McGregor, right, uh, with Theory Y, dreamed about, uh, creating organizations which are natural to human beings based on freedom, uh, based on the freedom of initiative, right, on trust, on the fairness, and all these things, that it's happening not as marginal exceptions, but something that became the most, right now, the most important corporate movement in France, is the most talked about. It's, it's like it's on the evening news, you know, of the top channels. It was on like ABC, Nightline, CBS, 60 Minutes. It's, it's like everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. It's starting now to, to get in UK. And uh, I hope um, that will go farther away into the Anglo-Saxon world. Thanks maybe to you, Donna.
0: Well, I hope so. I mean, that's the purpose of having running podcasts like this for 10 years now is to is to help get that word out and advance awareness. And I need to thank uh, Gilles Cipri, who is in Paris as well, because Gilles and I met uh, when I was in in Paris in January and he told me about your work. And I'd heard about you before, but but uh, Gilles speaks so passionately about the work and the effect of the work you're doing. And how it is spreading that I thought we just had to have this conversation. And, and of course, uh, Gilles came to me via Thomas Uli in Germany. It, it's an amazing uh, network of people that we have uh, working together at, from the outside and from the inside to really help companies adapt and, and to become extremely agile in the face of, of some ex- exciting conditions that call for that liberation. I, I, I really appreciate the work you're doing.
1: Thank you very much, and I see that you got contaminated by by a French guy, right? And there's a, <laughs> it's 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 again one more example, basically that you can't avoid in France if you come and it's, in French it's called entreprise libérée, right? Yeah. Uh, and in English, liberated company. But in France, if you tell entreprise libérée, you know, like you start talking, and, and, and if somebody doesn't know what is it, like people look at him and said, like you don't know who is Oprah. You know, it's like like you don't know anything, basically, right? So it became so kind of like, present. I'm not saying attention that every company is doing that, but it's on the agenda of, uh, of a lot, a lot, a lot of companies, and they have a lot of meetings. I'm spending maybe a third of my time just chatting and drinking, you know, uh, not alcohols but uh, you know uh, drinking uh, uh, some uh, tea and coffee with a lot of executives who are interested to understand what can they do how can they move in that direction so it's i hope it will reach across uh, atlantic over the pond like we we say and uh, and contaminate more and more organizations in uh, united states and canada
0: well, thank you, and thanks for your contribution to the program. I know that's my aspiration: is that we have a lot of companies that are activated to to uh, become part of this global change in terms of workplaces, great workplaces, and how workplaces work to be more human to really uh, ensure that we're creating human centered um, workplaces, because then everything else can follow. You've got health, you've got opportunity to create and innovate and respond quickly and 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 rapidly to surprises. So, yeah thanks for your part in this and thanks for being on the program Isaac
1: thanks a lot Donna for your program thank you very much
0: I hope you enjoyed this program lots of, pl- of good good stuff in here there's uh, self-managed more information on self-managed companies leadership skills and so forth on the evolutionary provocator podcast which is sits on iTunes I don't have control over that content uh, but you can see it on iTunes so in addition of course there's the rest of the episodes on this program the Insight to Action podcast, which is also on um, Google Voice and a few other platforms. My name is Donna Jones. My work involves decision making. I wrote Decision Making for Dummies, which is really a a more advanced book for decision makers. In today's world, I also write for the Great Workplace Cultures, Huffington Post monthly, and of course have this podcast as well. In addition, I do do work with companies on their decision making particularly the mindset required to handle complexity and uncertainty and uh, I I do also a lot of coaching work particularly with those really deep inner skills that people need to use today when uncertainty rules and there's just really no way of understanding what the future is going to bring so it's the deep inner skills actually the same set of skills we talked about in this program so Thanks for listening. Please share this program, review it, um, support it. Really would appreciate that. Thanks very much.